guest for the conversation today is Shauna Mary Brown. She's a clinical social worker and the founder of Kindred Wellness and Kindred Community Healing. Our conversation today focuses on healing, particularly in the black community, and how it can have a liberatory effect. As always, please rate and review so those who are interested in this kind of content will see us, will know us, will know that we are providing the kind of content that is helpful, informative, and engaging to our listeners. Wherever you get your podcast, be sure to rate and review us. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at Public Agenda Pod, P-O-D, at Public Agenda Pod, P-O-D. And again, rate, review, comment so listeners can know that we are providing the kind of content that they would want to hear. And now, my conversation with Shauna Mary Brown. Thank you for being a guest on the podcast, Miss Mary Brown. First, what is healing? What is healing? Well, you started with a real broad question. I see you. All right. So I would say healing can be defined as a method of undoing or recalibrating from wounds, um, perhaps something tangible, like healing a physical ailment, or something um, ethereal or intangible or spiritual, like something that could be passed down generationally. So when we hear the term healing these days, we think of holistic healing. The things that come to mind are sitting in circles and holding hands and taking deep breaths. But those are archetypes. What are some of the specific activities that you encourage those who want to practice healing to engage in? I think the first thing is to be really, really concrete around what it is or why they're interested in doing what kind of healing work. Right. So what is showing up for you in your life that has you, you know, questioning or realizing that something needs to change about yourself. And I often invite folks to um, sit with themselves through journaling, perhaps through prayer um, or through the arts to get a clear understanding of what questions they'd like to answer for themselves. Does that imply that in order to engage in healing, one must be flawed, broken, or problematic in some sense to need to heal? Can a healthy person still practice healing activities? I think that health and maintaining health is a healing activity. And so, no, you may not have experienced some specific trauma, but I would say that being alive in this time requires that some ongoing sustainable activity is going to be necessary in order for you to achieve any level of health or wellness. Can you explain the intersection between healing and liberation? Those things might seem like they stand in opposite spaces for folks unfamiliar with both of those phrases. So because I center all of my work on the experiences of black people and brown people, folks of the diaspora, um, thinking both locally and globally, when I think about liberation, I think about needing to break free from some overarching system, systems of oppression. Um, 
And so the intersection for me specifically is around understanding that many of the things and ailments that black and brown people are healing from are things that have been passed on generationally from political issues, um, from issues having to do with colonization um, and imperialism um, that in present day we might not have the language to understand, but if you're truly going to assess the depth of what you might be embodying in your life on a day-to-day, then it'll be really important for you to understand, to locate yourself from a historical context. And so in order to liberate yourself, in order to break free from some of the ways of thinking that may have been um, shared through media and um, the political realm, um, in order to actually heal sort of communally, so shifting from the individual, but also going into how we heal our families and how we can better engage um, as a people. These two things are connected because whatever is happening societally um, that might be oppressive is gonna impact our ability to live well and to heal well. And a quick example I would give, I was reading um, an article this morning about, I can't remember who, but I'll I'll share that with you later, um, that was basically talking about how the livelihoods of black women in respective cities, right? So it ranked, um, Baltimore was ranked like the second um, city that was the, had great outcomes for economic well-being and for educational well-being. Washington, D.C. was ranked the highest in both as well. However, when you look at the experiences of black women from a health perspective, um, Baltimore ranked the third worst, right? And so when we're thinking about this connection between um, societal implications and what it means to sort of survive and thrive in a uh, atrocious sort of political environment, and then you juxtapose that to what it means to sustain and to live. The the data like that helps to support that position. One of the things that some of the listeners may come to think about when they hear ideas of healing is that this is very specific to women. In the West, particularly in the United States, we often bifurcate things along lines of gender. Oh, this is a man's activity. This is a woman's activity. You even citing the City Lab uh, article by Brenton Mock that talked about the best and worst places for black women even focused on women. And while I am not asking you to ignore women, I am curious about what space men can occupy in tearing down constructs of gender to engage in healing. That's a dope question. Am I allowed to cuss? (laughs) (laughs) That's actually a good question. (laughs) But no, go right ahead. Answer however you see fit. Um, So I think it's a human activity. It's a human activity, right? So my work begins first with the black woman experience because I identify as a black woman. But no matter where you fall in the gender line, it is important to, to, to acknowledge that our experiences politically and what we might identify as something that needs to be healed is going to be informed about how people perceive us. Um, I think it's really unfortunate and quite heartbreaking and an issue that I'm working with folks here in the city of Baltimore to address is how do we translate ancient healing modalities um, before colonization to the experiences of black men and um, and non-gender conforming folks um, in our communities. And so I think when we're asking the question, how can men be a part of this conversation, I think it means to 
really decolonize, right? And that is to to educate ourselves about how to separate white con confines on white white media interests and the way that they market um, things like yoga and meditation and those things, and and instead uh, align them with what is it that I need to heal and how can I do this in a private space and begin to get more comfortable with it? You made me think of several things when you say about marketing of yoga and things like <laughs> that because now I then begin to think of the confluence of capitalism, racism, and sexism, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Patricia Hill Collins would call that the matrix of domination, particularly as it affects black women. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking there's a particular niche market to offer yoga to women and thus men are disincentivized to participate, and yet men may be missing out on vital healing opportunities and methods because of that same thing. And I had never considered the, the capitalist or market-based mm -hmm. motivations for one wanting to do that. But you alluded to traditional African spiritualities, and there's a, a pastor in Baltimore who would offer that uh, he wanted to get in tune, his Christian parishioners, to get in tune with their ancestors. Mm -hmm. His remark was, how dare they tell us that to pray to our ancestors is somehow, somehow um, anti-theist, anti mm -hmm. yet their ancestors are carved into mountains on stones and we're told to visit them. Yep. And so when you think about engaging healing in uh, pre-colonial experiences for black and brown people, how does that inform your post-colonial real existence today? Whenever I am supporting folks in constructing their healing journey, I begin with an activity that's sort of like a family tree, but a bit doper than that. <laughs> it's called a genogram. So basically where I have folks really write out, okay, who you are and your, your siblings and then who your parents are. And, who, and, and then after you get all of that down, you know, let's say you go four generations in then to identify what are the patterns, what are the things that you might have assumed the people in your life needed to heal from. The reason why I ground many of the conversations about healing there is because central to African spirituality is acknowledging, honoring, and communing with our ancestors. And we do that already, right? But, it, but we may not um, have the language to be able to recognize the relationship between how it exists in modern, modern day experiences and the ways in which it is really derived from um, pre-colonial activity. So... Um, if you have pictures on your wall in your house of a grandma and them, right? If you um, sometimes make meals that your great-grandfather used to do or you have a, a pen or some kind of really important object that was passed down in your family, those are activities of reverence for your family members. That is ancestral honoring. But when we're talking about it from a healing perspective, it's when you have dreams and perhaps someone comes up in your dream that you remember and there's some story that you want to connect more deeply with. Instead of just saying, oh, that was just a dream, the activity for the healing activity would be actually communing with and inviting that dream to come back again so that you can get a deeper understanding. I like the word communing with, but if I am a left brain person who needs specific directions for what each thing means, Got you. what are you telling me to do when you tell me to commune with my ancestors? So I'm saying maybe you want to go into a room by yourself, light a candle or pull up the picture of the person, close your eyes and remember them, right? 
Um, you could talk to them, but you might want to do this in a private space so people don't think you're tripping. Uh, <laughs> um, you could write a letter to them that you know perhaps they would not be able to actually write back, but maybe you leave it in a special place. Um, going to maybe the gravesite where their body is and talking to them. Um, those are a few of the really sort of tangible activities when we're talking about connecting with or communing with our ancestors. While it may be in black people's cultural continuity or cultural memory to engage and commune with ancestors, there's going to be a number of folks who will hear this and go, I ain't talking to no wall or no picture, no dead. Mm -hmm. Only thing I talk to that I can't see is Jesus. Mm -hmm. And lady, your healing talk sounds like it's a whole lot of not Jesus. Mm -hmm. How do you reconcile for those who may be Christian, perhaps? Mm -hmm. How do you reconcile this healing communal experience, this pre-colonial spirituality you're alluding mm -hmm. to with healing, with also, again, our modern religious experiences and our modern, particularly for those who practice the Christian faith, mm -hmm. the modern Christian experience. So in the beginning of my holding space for black folks to do this healing work, there was a lot of resistance to, say, the use of crystals, right? Um, and so what really helped me is I actually called up Pastor Heber Brown um, and asked, you know, where does this show up in the Bible? I did a Google search. You know, and, I, you know, so oftentimes I'm citing, well, where does it allude to these very same practices in the Bible, right? When we were talking about Jesus re resurrecting, recognize that Jesus <laughs> would then be an ancestor, y'all. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I concretize these concepts by making it really clear. All of the things that I am inviting you to consider, check me, right? Do a Google search to see where this might show up in the Bible. And then, you know, perhaps begin your, um, your healing journey there. For those outside of the Christian space, not every black person practices monotheism, practices even Christianity. For those outside of the Christian space who don't engage in things beyond the, the, that which you can see. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the writer Ta-Nehisi Coates comes to mind immediately because while he has respect for the, the church, he talks about why do we wait for a heaven hereafter when we ought to work toward create the heaven on earth yeah. how does the idea of healing particularly the unseen and the spiritual how do you communicate with those folks engaged in that which they can see and feel got it great question okay so the first thing that comes up for me is um i tend to hold uh to facilitate healing circles teaching mind body medicine and i had a person in my group um, when the conversation around spirituality came, she was not having it. <laughs> like, she was just like, no, can't get with it. So where, where I took the group to support everyone's experience was in getting in their body, right? And so that is, you can see your fingers. I mean, if you can see, you can see your fingers. If you can't see, perhaps you can feel them. If you can't feel them, perhaps you can smell them. Utilizing the senses and recognizing that, oh, well, when you exercise, you can feel that there's a change in your body. Those, that is an indication of a very physical um, shift and a physical activity of, of healing. Um, if you look at, so I've studied um, traditional Chinese forms of meditation and healing and then connected them to some of, still, and I'm still doing the work to sort of connect it to the relationship that the Africans had with the Chinese. Um, but what's been really central to my work is practicing embodiment, which is literally feeling your body and no noticing what comes up. Many of us 
you know, if I ask you if you experience lower back pain, right? Most people actually say, well, now that I think about it, yes, there's some tension there, right? And that's the beginning to just noticing and then recognizing what movement, activity, massage, or breath work can I do to specifically address that physical ailment. For those people who are curious about how healing manifests itself, I guess for our mental health, Mm-hmm. And the reason I go there is because I imagine, and this may just be my ignorance and I don't want to project onto others. Mm-hmm. When I think of healing, I think of people who do work around mental health. You've done a great job of explaining how physically we get in tune with that, mm-hmm. even modeling physical exercise. Mm-hmm. But how do you tap into the healing of the mental experience? So as an integrative psychotherapist um, that was trained as a social worker, most of the the opportunities that I've had to first invite or introduce these healing modalities was actually through mental health. And so these things can show up in um, the ways that we might be talking to ourselves in our mind, um, the way, the patterns that we might see in our interpersonal relationships, our relationships with our friends and family, um, and simply, or, and, or our self-esteem, right? And so when you're doing things that nourish or care for yourself, um, if it's exercise, um, if it's changing your diet, um, if it's communing with your ancestors or meditating with a crystal in your hand, all of these things can be pathways to you being able to improve um, and sort out the ways that you might be speaking to yourself or why you may be um, having negative patterned relationships with folks in your family. When I support folks in the therapeutic space, um, I begin with inviting them to do a full assessment, mind, body, and spirit, and then connecting perhaps that lower back pain, which the traditional Chinese would say is connected to fear, right? That any, that it's, it's a, uh, related to a stagnation of chi, or um, that energy in your body is not flowing the way that it should, that that's connected with fear, right? And so if I can connect your lower back pain to an emotion like fear and then ask you, well, how, how might fear be relevant to your life in the way that you've been feeling emotionally lately? The, that's one of the ways that these things can connect. Americans peacock all the time, men and women alike. We present this bravado of strength, of virility, of aggressiveness, and they seem to be the last people who would want to sit in a circle and cross their legs when they're seated and hold their fingertips to their thumbs while (laughs) humming. And so often that's what so many of us think of as healing. But are you suggesting that we should expand the way we think about what healing is? I think it's both and, right? So it is healing when you are speaking about something positive with a close friend. Um, it is healing if you, do you like football? I enjoy the sport. Okay. It is healing when you decide to to watch perhaps football with someone who you want to strengthen a relationship with, right? But it is also healing to get together and potluck, right? To bring food together. Not so healing if you are poisoning yourself with alcohol, but it can be healing if you utilize that sparingly, right? And you're just trying to have a good time. Laughter is healing. Likewise, 
as a person who also values and, and teaches other folks how to sit in circle together and talk out um, challenges, that is also, that can also be a healing activity and I think it's something that we need to remember how to do. What is the role of art in healing? Um, a very popular pop artist now is Solange Knowles, mm -hmm. and she spends a lot of time talking about healing and the cathartic process of, of some of the folks who are trying to exercise some of these challenges and demons. I had a student of mine who uh, introduced me to an artist, Sampa the Great. And she's a woman who's African, uh, a woman of African descent, who is engaging in the healing process. So, what role can or does art play in one finding one's healing? So, the example that comes up for me to really explain this deeply is um, last year I was talking to a group of fourth and fifth grade girls and boys um, about healing they didn't really have the language for it because they're in the fourth and fifth grade they like i don't know what you're talking about miss shauna <laughs> and so what i did is i gave them each a piece of paper and crayons i told them to number it number one two and three and i asked them to draw a picture of themselves in the moment draw a picture of the thing that worries them the most and draw a picture of the thing of what their worry resolved so now mind you, I asked them this question before and some of the boys were saying, I'm afraid of snakes. <laughs> and some of the girls were, were like, you know, I'm afraid that my mother gonna be mad at me, right? But when I gave them the opportunity to express through art, um, some of the themes that came up were, well actually all of the children drew pictures of guns, right? There was themselves and then some relations. So some, some of the children drew pictures of, the, of um, of, uh, of a gun, um, of a gun being pointed at someone, um, of them you know, seeing someone that had been harmed by gun violence. So when we're talking about the relationship between art and healing, it, it's important to understand that our, there, sometimes there are things that cannot be described in words. And when we, um, and I use children as the example because I've also done this with adults. And things come out, you know, when you're just given a prompt on a paper that you couldn't fathom to articulate um, because it perhaps it's too heavy. May or, or maybe you just didn't know that it was a thing until someone gave you a, a paintbrush or a crayon or some fabric and said, translate for me what you're feeling inside using these things. Um, Color is also really important too. When we look at across cultures, d the different colors used subliminally, unintentionally, also have a tendency to communicate different feelings and emotions. And so, sh needless to say, art is a way to communicate things that may not be easily articulated with words. You talk about gun violence, and that's particular to people who may be in spaces that are densely populated, mm -hmm. that are concentrated poverty. Does healing look different for people based on what your geographic region of where you are is. If you're rural, does your challenges, fears, or and, and your anxieties look different than if you're urban? And if the answer is yes, then does that mean one ought to have different practices to heal from those different anxieties? So first I would say that some of the children that, that I was holding space for were not in a densely populated um, environment. And I, I say that just to sort of amplify the role 
and the power of media in creating um, anxieties about things that perhaps 20 years ago in a rural area, you might not have children that, have, that are having these challenges, but present day, this might be an issue no matter where you are if you're on Facebook or watching television. That being said, I think there are, there's a toolbox, so to speak, of different behaviors that one can explore for healing and then select the ones that best suit you. I don't think that it is experience specific, but more it is unique to what will be most um, relieving for the person that is doing the activity. So like I um, have a, a good friend who he enjoys dancing as a way to release. Um, please don't ask me to dance in front of anybody <laughs> that's not healing for me right now i do it by myself right but that's not going to be something i would enjoy doing um in a group right for me it's going to be sitting and doing a breathing meditation or sh or shaking you know not having a dance i don't have to have i don't have to be in alignment with any rhythm okay i could just Work it out. So I think it's really depending on the person and what feels good. And so it's important to be introduced to those multiple ways of, and to explore the multiple ways of healing yourself. And then you can figure out what are the few that really work for me. I ask this not to center white people, but to also make obvious how racism harms everybody. Yep. But when we have black teachers, we find that all students do better. Mm-hmm. If, do we have any research or data on the centering of African-based healing practices and its outcomes and effects on people of African descent and beyond? This makes me really happy um, because I actually know the, the answer. So I actually um, have done much research about this. Um, and the example that I can state is there's a lot of burgeoning research around mindfulness, mind-body mind medicine, um, and yoga therapies. Um, with specifically black men, black women, and black children. Um, and so there was recently a study that modeled the same sort of format um, as these yoga interventions. Um, instead, they used African spiritual tradition. And what they found is that the outcomes are the same, meaning that African spiritual traditions are just as, if not more, effective than yoga and mindfulness meditation. Now, that is... Um, there's not been a lot of research, of course, on the African-centered perspectives, just because it's not, a, not enough of us doing, the, not enough of us that know that this is a thing that should be explored, exploring it. However, the research is promising and that the, the outcomes are, are, really, are really powerful. The outcomes will be powerful across different communities for black folks as well yes. as for brown folks, as well as for our Middle Eastern brothers yep. and sisters, South Asian brothers and sisters, yep. and even our white sisters and brothers. And it's important to recognize, though, that mindful meditation yoga and all of these sort of modalities are rooted in Eastern tradition right so when we're talking about whether or not mindfulness is helpful for everybody it's like well you know what mindfulness are we talking about are we talking about the mindfulness that acknowledges its rootedness in African um, uh, in African history um, and in the in the Middle East in um, Chinese um, ways of knowing and so I think off when we reframe it from that perspective too, it makes perfect sense. So yes, it's good for everybody. Dr. Greg Carr of Howard University offers loyalty to humanity is betrayal of whiteness. And that it communicates to me that 
we all can sit at the table of humanity. We just cannot name that table whiteness and its friends. Mm-hmm. And, Tell the whole truth. And I, and, the truth. And, I like, and I like the way that you focus that by connecting in the Eastern uh, Eastern origins to a lot of the mindfulness that we're all there. of it, not a lot of it, all of it. <laughs> a, a necessary it's and welcome correction, yeah. a necessary yeah. and welcome correction. Yeah. Shauna Mary Brown, clinical social worker, founder of Kindred Wellness and Kindred Community Healing. Thank you so much for folks who like what it is you've said and may be interested in what it is you do, even those who may be outside of Baltimore. How can they find, follow, and or reach you? Yeah, so you can go to my website that's Shauna Murray Brown with an E dot com, com. I'm on Facebook at Shauna Murray Brown with an E. I'm on Instagram at Heal a Sister, that's S I S T A. And I am on Twitter at Shauna M Brown with an E. Her name is Shauna Mary Brown. She has been my guest here on Public Agenda. Ms. Brown, thank you so much for taking time to have this conversation with us. Thank you. That was my conversation with Shauna Mary Brown, a clinical social worker and founder of Kindred Wellness and Kindred Community Healing. Please, if you're interested in following and finding her work, log on to her website, www.shaunamarybrown with an E, shaunamarybrown with an E dot com. And as always, thank you for listening. Please rate, review, and comment. Rate, review, and comment. The more ratings, reviews, and comments we have on the various platforms wherever you get your podcast, it will bump up our information so that other people's algorithm will find the content that we are creating. We are greatly appreciative for it. Rate, review, and comment. Rate, review, and comment. Feel free to email us, publicagendapodcast at gmail.com, publicagendapodcast at gmail.com. And as always, thanks for listening. And in parting, let us remember the words of the Yoruba proverb, that if we stand tall, it is because we stand on the backs of those who came before us. God bless. Thank you.